let's start to play. Yahoo! Welcome to Games We Grew Up With, a podcast that relies on nostalgia and a geeky sensibility. Each episode, we'll talk about one of the video games that left an impression on us as kids, put on some rose-tinted glasses, and reminisce about it. Then, replay the game and see how it's held up over the years. This episode, we'll be triple jumping into the past and talking about Super Mario 64 for the Nintendo 64. I'm Katie. I'm Chris. We've collected enough stars to open the door, so let's talk games. Yahoo! Yeah, exactly. So we are on to episode 36. Woo! Yay! Back to Mario. Can't get away from him. Uh, this was significantly less frustrating than the last time we played Mario, which no, doesn't mean it no. wasn't frustrating. The last, last time but... we played Mario was Mario Kart. Oh, fair point. So, incorrect, sir. Incorrect. But yes, no, Uh I... Which Mario is this for you? This is the third Mario game. Fourth? Fourth? Oh, Mario RPG. I think it's the 64th Mario game. Ha ha, ha ha ha. That's a fun fact for later I didn't put in there, but there was going to be the sequels unofficial, like when they were working on the sequel, the title they were calling it was Mario 132. No, 138. I'm doing the math wrong. 128. 128. 128. I would have preferred Super Mario 65. Yeah, no, it was, it was Mario 128. Uh, math is hard, folks. Yeah, math math in public. <laughs> I stopped taking math after high school, so. <laughs> Mario, I spent 128 attempts to get through the last level. Yes, exactly. Oh, wait, that was you. Yeah. Ha ha ha, rude. So, other thing we wanted to announce. Announcements, announcements, announcements. I don't hate that. There's an announcement. (laughs) For our two-year anniversary of the podcast, we are going to do a live episode. Yay! Yay! You get to see how the sausage is made. God, God help us all. So oh. <laughs> we'll get the logistics of it, but it's most likely going to be streaming on Twitch. It will mm-hmm. still go onto all of our favorite podcasting platforms afterwards, but it's going to be on Twitch and we're going to do a live episode. You'll get to see how it works and see us talk about the episode live. So that's going to be super exciting. Look forward to that. We're going to keep reminding you of it. So it's going to be annoying eventually, but for now, it's really exciting. Yay! Yay! We will will definitely make sure to remind everyone leading up to that. All the reminders. Anyways, look forward to that. Like I said, that will be coming at our one-year anniversary, which is about mid-July. So we've got a little bit of time before then, but it should be a lot of fun. So I hope you guys are looking forward to that. Outside of that, I think it's time for our video game trope of the day. Trope of the day! Yahoo! This episode's video game trope of the day is death is a slap on the wrist, which I love because it's the opposite of live system spoilers. Katie, tell us a little bit about 
death is a slap on the wrist. So it's pretty self-explanatory. This is when death in a game seems like nothing more than a minor obstacle, a slap on the wrist, not something really to stress or worry about. Even for really not good players, they say the worst of players online, even for bad players, it's not going to severely penalize you just because you die. Mm -hmm. Death is just there almost for formality's sake. (laughs) This is great because it, in in my opinion, it, in certain contexts, it helps with the flow of a game. It doesn't take you out of it too much. Obviously, in Jack and Daxter, we talked about this constantly because it just got you right back into the flow. Yeah. A lot of the new retro-style games will have this, like the Cupheads, yes. the the Kaizo, Robhack. Yeah, and it's interesting. You can almost take in roguelites that you almost benefit yeah. from dying. It's almost it's part of it is you have to die to learn more and get more information and stuff like that. Um, but when you're talking about yeah. making the game flow better, uh, there are developers who call this out specifically. Like, for example, in a game like Bioshock, Irrational Studios, who developed the game, they specifically said that they didn't want death to impact the narrative of the story. So yes, you can die in that game, but they never, especially in the really crucial moments of that game and the later sequels, they didn't want your death, if you weren't good at something, to impact serious areas. So there are certain parts that you're almost invincible, not 100%, but basically you got a bit of plot armor so that you Uh don't miss narrative of the games. That's how much death didn't matter to them because narrative was more important. Penny Arcade actually had kind of a really fun comic about this. It was, um, I think it was referencing either Dead Space 2 or Dead Space 3. And it was, you know, your main character, Isaac Clarke or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, Mind Worm, this is so crazy, brah, brah, brah. And it's like, attempt number three. And it's like, oh, what's up, Mind Worm? It's like, oh, rar, I guess. Yeah. And then the next panel is like, attempt number nine. It's like, have you used proximity mines? It's like, mind worm, I don't know what to tell you. It's a mess up there. And, and that's the thing. Like, there's, there's somewhat games like that where you just repeat really easily. But there's other games that, yeah. like, in Star Wars The Force Unleashed, as well as in Horizon Zero Dawn and Forbidden West, where if you die, a lot of times, not every time, but a lot of times enemies that you've killed, is, as long as it's recent enough, will stay dead, which is really convenient. Oh, yeah. So you don't so have to You could restart. just kind of chip away. Yeah, you yeah. could slowly chip away at it, <laughs> which is, you know, very convenient. In a very humor that fits the game for Borderlands, death isn't really important in the sense that the enemies do stay dead. You do have to pay a nominal fee to come back to life in Borderlands, but it's actually based on the amount of money you currently have. So the more money you have, the more you pay. But if you don't have a ton of money, they take less money from you. So it's actually like they don't want it to actually impact your gameplay when you die. Yeah, it's like a percentage of your money. Diablo and Diablo 2 is the same way. You lose a certain percentage of your money. So it's it's not super, super stressful. I mean, in Diablo 2, I guess you lose all your items, which can... I think we've talked about in other games where you've got to go pick up all of your Yeah, the Soulsborne stuff. games, you do that. And if anyone's been watching the coast-to-coast co-ops on Twitch, games like Super Mario 3D World end up rewarding you for dying enough by giving you things like the Golden Tanuki suit and saying, well, you're just not very good at this. Yes, Pity Tanuki! Pity Tanuki! Pity Tanuki! <laughs> yeah, and... and- in other games, in RPGs, it doesn't happen exactly the same way, but in Chrono Trigger, if a party member dies in battle, if they stay dead through the end of the battle, they are just alive 
uh, once you leave the battle. We, they only have one HP, so you do have to use items and stuff. But they don't stay dead. You don't have to worry about reviving them, which is very nice. Yeah, as well. there's that's that's like kind of two archetypes of RPGs. It's they're either come back with one health or they're knocked out. Yeah. One kind of sort of pop culture example is Dragon Ball Z. They've got the Dragon Balls where you could just bring people back. Yeah, but you can only bring people back once per type of Dragon Ball. Yeah, but then you could just go to Namek. I mean, that's then valid. you could wish back the other Dragon and Balls. And then the I Super Dragon Team Balls. Team Four Star, yeah. Team Four Star makes fun of it where Tien's like, really? Death has no consequence. We could just wish them back with another set of Dragon Balls. The Team Four Star Chiaotzu was like, if I die one more time, I get an ice cream. <laughs> Absolutely. So for people, especially Chris and I, who struggle with live systems and how much we don't appreciate them, especially Chris hates the live Because system. we're not playing arcade games anymore. It's nice that the games and developers have kind of acknowledged that and are moving away from that. Coming to our game of the episode, Super Mario 64, there are lives in Super Mario 64, but there aren't a ton of consequences to losing. You just get booted out of the painting when you die. And then if you lose all your lives, you get booted out of the castle. But it's really easy to get back to where you were it is really interesting it's like they put lives as just kind of a afterthought yeah because like even then like there's certain levels where if you go to like a mid level level so like there's a couple levels in the game where you can like you enter a different level from within a level mm -hmm. it drops you straight there even if, if you die within that mid level so they don't make you refine that middle level again and it's the same with bowser is if you die right before a ba during a bowser battle it'll stick you out right outside the bowser battle they don't make you go through the whole level again which right. is nice so again it, it it really super mario despite having lives doesn't penalize you which of course is very different than the original mario games which were brutal with their live yeah. system so Super Mario 64 is kind of a funny fit with this particular trope because it absolutely fits despite it having a live system, which seems yeah. almost contradictory to this particular trope. But that's why Death is a Slap on the Wrist is today's video game trope of the day. Trope of the day! All right, it is time to talk about the game of the episode. Katie, what can you tell me about Super Mario 64 for the Nintendo 64? So it was released in 1996, developed by, of course, Nintendo. And it's really notable that Super Mario 64 is the last finished game that was directed by the creator Shigeru Miyamoto. So this was his last Mario game that he directed the whole thing of, which he, of course, contributed down the line and still does to this day. Am I crazy? He's still alive, right? Yes. And he still does to this day. But this was the last game that he fully directed um, back in 1996. That's really cool. We say this about a lot of the games. It was... The critics love this game. It just... <laughs> I, I'm running out of ways to say that. But the critics love this game. Aggregate score on game ranking was a 96% out of 22 reviews. And a 94 out of 100 on Metacritic out of 18 reviews. So just solid across the board. Electronic Gaming Monthly talked about the game's levels in their initial review, praising them for their size, challenge, and later ranked it the fourth best console game of all time, arguing that it had <laughs> breached the entire genre of 3D gaming while working virtually flawlessly. So they missed all the glitches, but... <laughs> <laughs> GameStop praised the graphics for being clean yet simple and not detracting from the details of the game world. 
It won a ton of awards from basically everyone, like multiple Game of the Year awards. Uh, pretty much every major media has ranked it within the greatest game of all time lists, including mm-hmm. IGN, Game Informer, Edge, Official Nintendo Magazine, like all of them. They all put it in their top video game of all time, which is is expected for the game, but still pretty freaking incredible. It's very impressive considering it was a launch title as well, yes. right? Like, this was the game to showcase the Nintendo 64. Yeah. And it is widely regarded as one of the best platformers out there. Kind of stink that it's like, after this game, everything goes downhill from yes, here. It's all downhill. <laughs> so, getting into some of our fun facts. Speedruns. Oh, the speedruns. <laughs> this is a very, very active community still. Um, so there's a lot of different levels of speedrunning for this particular game. We're going to go over the three major ones. Uh, the first one being 120 stars. So that's getting every star available in the game. Speedrun is one hour, 37 minutes, and 50 seconds set a month ago. Uh, set by Cheese. And I just... Cheese. Cheese is considered like the best of the best, the GOAT of Super Mario 64. He's had multiple world records. He's had multiple titles over the year. People consider him the best of all time for this game. I, I think I think he came up a couple times when we were streaming, yes. talking with a couple folks. Yeah. He has nearly five years of combined time at number one as their best game, which is crazy. Yeah. The another speedrun is 70 stars. Now 70 stars is the minimum amount of stars that you can legitimately beat the game with. Mm-hmm. And that is in 46 minutes and 58 seconds. That was set 5 months ago by Ouija. And then the fastest one is a zero star run, so glitch 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 glitch. Yeah, I was going to say hardcore glitching there. That is a 6 minute and 27 second run that was set 2 months ago by Kano. Kano? Kano. So, just the speedrunning, again, it's really, uh, producer Kyle was watching through the speedrunning, and it was fascinating to see how they got some of those stars, and the really obscure ways that would they'd get some of them. They glitch as well to get some of the stars to make it faster, mm-hmm. so it's just fascinating to watch them, what they would do to glitch their way to certain stars, which was always entertaining. I mean, going with, it's a launch title, and it was one of the first examples of this 3D environment, Absolutely. I'm sure that there's glitches out the wazoo and and just like with the super mario we talked about how precise those players have to be you have to be very Mm. precise in this game as well to hit those exact right moments to get that exact right piece of glitch to get it going so it's it's pretty fascinating now did i think we talked about this uh speed run for this game does not necessarily have to use an original controller not an original controller but you do need to be on the original console right so you could have like a, a scratch built yes controller that works with the all those pins and stuff like that yes that is correct i don't know if yeah, they I, use them or not they probably do but i don't know that part i feel like you have to guys so other fun things about possible glitches in the game and back to we we use we've talked about this a lot in our podcast about the back in the day before the internet was what it is today you had your playground rumors Mm-hmm. So for years, there was rumors that Luigi was actually in the original game. So much so that in 1996, IGN offered a prize of $100 if a player could find Luigi. 
Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, they couldn't. Yeah, not it's not there. Somewhat recently, there was a like data drop where people like hack some files, and he's actually in the like game data deep buried in there, but he's not playable oh, I'm or sure. anything. So, however, Luigi did become playable in the Nintendo DS port of the game that came out in 2004. So he does appear in a version of this game. <sighs> oh, producer Kyle edited my notes here because he said, however, Yoshi is rightly in the game. <laughs> After getting all 120 stars as a true reward, since to beat the game only requires 70. Producer Kyle loves Yoshi. That is true. I want to say the source code for this game was either released or leaked. Yeah, it in was the leaked. last couple years, and that's where they got the Luigi. Yeah, movie. because there's a there's a guy on YouTube. I forget the name, but he essentially went through and redid the entire game in like a ROM hack and and tightened it up and made it run so much smoother. Mm. It's really cool to watch if you find it on YouTube. It's it's amazing that. You know, this guy was like, I've literally spent hundreds upon hundreds of hours, and I essentially had gone through every single line of this game. That's insane. And I made it better. Speaking of making this game, another fun fact, there is a bunny running around the basement of the castle. If you catch him, you can catch him two different times. You get a star from him if you catch him both times. So he has two of the secret stars for the castle. His name is Mips, M-I-P-S. He was created by the developers while developing Nintendo 64's original hardware as a tech demo, and they liked him so much they added him to Mario 64, which is kind <laughs> of hilarious because he was an Easter egg, so he's a bunny. Ah. He is named MIPS since it is also the name of the CPU architecture of the Nintendo 64 system. A hey, Chris, do you remember what it is? What does MIPS stand for? Don't look at the notes. You already looked at the notes. I already looked at the notes. I I wouldn't have known this. It stands for a microprocessor without interlocked pipeline stages. Oh, why you wouldn't have known that? Yeah. Some other fun facts: the booze were based on the assistant director's wife, who, according to Miyamoto, she was very quiet normally, but one day she exploded, maddened by all the time the assistant director spent at work. Amazing. So that's a thing. Amazing. I love it. I love all of that. Also, this was being developed kind of at the same time as Ocarina of Time, Mm -hmm. but obviously Ocarina of Time came out a couple years later, but some of the puzzles that were going to be in Ocarina of Time were actually taken and put into Super Mario 64 because it was just like, oh, I like that. Uh, We're going to steal that for this launch game. That's hilarious. Poor developers of of Zelda (laughs) were like, no, I worked hard on that that puzzle. Another kind of random fun fact I saw was, you know, people complain that video games aren't good for kids and bad for their brains. However, a study in 2013 was conducted to see the plasticity effects on the human brain after playing Super Mario 64. The game was specifically chosen for its navigation element and the ability to play in a three-dimensional environment for at least 30 minutes every day for two months. The study concluded that by playing the game, it actually caused gray matter in the brain to increase in the hippocampal formation. The gray matter increased. It made your brain smarter and work better. And it actually, it, <laughs> it, it, it helped in navigation, working memory, and motor planning. So literally playing the game 30 minutes a day actually improved gray matter in the brain, which is kind of amazing. Yeah. So take that, that, mom and dad. <laughs> is there a remake of this game? 
Yes, they have put it out on the Switch most recently where they've way smoothed it out. Producer Kyle played and it looked way nicer on the Switch, of course. I I very much considered grabbing the Switch version. It was smoother to play. He could turn around a lot easier because in this game it's hard to turn around. But I think more notable to me at least was they did a port to the DS in 2004, as I mentioned a little bit earlier. That port got an 85 out of 100 on Metacritic. I think it's really funny that you start the game actually as Yoshi. Yeah. And then you go and you find Mario, who then finds Luigi, who then finds Wario. And so you actually can play as all the different characters in the game. Uh, and so they expanded a little bit and they added a couple extra puzzles and everything. But I, I loved, I played a lot of this game on the 64, but I also played a lot on the DS. And I think I, a, I lot played a lot of people played on the DS, as, on well, the DS yeah. as well. I think one one big thing with the DS version was instead of the boxes like the red boxes were wings the green boxes were metal it was character specific yes so it was like power up for character yeah because they actually had different abilities yeah luigi could jump way better so you didn't need to triple jump with luigi he could just jump and so yeah those those boxes were just the special ability for whatever character you were playing Mm mm-hmm so it's very, you had to play certain levels as certain people, basically. Which yeah. It's really interesting. So that was kind of a fun way of adapting the game while keeping it authentic to the original. So a lot of fun Super Mario 64 facts, but I think it is time. We kind of allude to us playing a lot on the DS. So I think it's time to play that Chi Ocarina of Time, go back to the past, talk about the game before we had a chance to play the game again and see what we thought of it. Sounds good. Let's do it. Let's go. <laughs> no. No go? I think I used that line in the rose. Oh, I guarantee we did. (laughs) So that music means we're back in the past, back before we had a chance to play this game again. So, Chris, tell me what you remember about Super Mario 64. The first thing that I can remember about this game is the flying hat. Oh, and yeah. I, I mean, it's I mean, my bias aside, this maybe it it's an unconscious bias, but that's the first thing I think of when I think of this game is is the the flying around. Also, the flying controls were kind of terrible. They were mostly gliding controls. They're gliding controls. You know what? The first thing I always think of for this game. Yeah. It's that noise of like when you're entering the world. That's what I always think of. It was more poppy, yes. Yeah. It was so 3D-ish. Yeah. (laughs) Like just moving around Mm -hmm. in in that space was so wild because this, I mean, we probably played this before we played any other kind of 3D platformer because we played this at friends' houses, I feel like. Yeah, Yeah, we played this really early. Yeah, because we had we had friends that got the Nintendo sixty four really early, pretty early. And so I don't know. I don't think this was a release game, but it was early, early N sixty four days. Zero chance that this wasn't a release game. I think this is what was bundled with the system. Yeah, like what else okay. would be the release game for Nintendo sixty four? Mar- Mario Kart. No, Mario 64. Also, we talked about it in the Mario Kart episode. Oh, you're probably right. <laughs> fine, fine. <laughs> I remember the like splash screen uh-huh. where it was just his face, yeah. and you could grab his face 
and move. I was trying move to remember his, like ears and stuff. Was that in the original or was that only in the DS remake? No, that was definitely in okay. the original. Okay. The amount of time we messed around with that, like just that at friends' houses. So I know in the DS remake, you could do that with all the other characters too, because in the DS remake, you could actually play as mm-hmm. Luigi and Yoshi and stuff, and you could do it all, all the character faces. So yeah. I knew it was in the remake. And with the stylus, it worked really, really well, actually. I will say, I have a lot of memories playing it on the N64. I don't think I played through the whole, whole game by myself until the DS version because we only played yeah. it at friends' places. We were only playing right. with other people. So I played most of it. I think I watched the ending before that point. But yeah. I didn't beat it myself because I was always at friends' houses, so you would change with friends. Everyone would participate. Right. I think I played through the whole thing myself on the DS version. Though I don't think they changed a ton. They added some for the DS version. I know you could play as other characters, as I mentioned. But yeah. I don't think the actual like game itself changed a ton. No, I don't think so, because I definitely bought it for the DS as well and, and played it somewhat recently. I mean, recently being in the last like yeah. handful of years. It was the uh, first DS years ago. game I ever had that the battery on the cartridge died, and I was really sad. <gasps> oh, no. I lost How does that happen? The, same the way- DS is too new for that. Nope, it's not. <laughs> that sounds like a fault to me. It might There's have been, no but it was really way. depressing. Uh... It just stopped working. But no, this game... The music was just so poppy. It was the first game I remember where it was a hub world game. So you jump into the portraits. I remember that much. And then, oh, yeah, the portraits was a huge thing. And they would ripple like water, which was so cool. And then you could find. I always remember uh, backflipping into them. Yes, you would try to make it look cool. That was was my favorite thing. But I, I enjoyed that as when we were younger was. It was to get to certain areas, you just had to get in a certain amount of stars. So you could avoid hard areas that you were really bad at Mm -hmm. really easily in this game. So again, making it more appealing to kind of a general public of you could, you didn't have to perfect every single level. If you were just bad at an area, you could skip it or bad at a certain type of challenge because they'd have the speed run challenges. Because remember there was this one character you kept running into that would challenge you to a race every time you met him. It was a Koopa, I think. Yeah, and there was the, the penguin... The big the penguin, penguins. that was a big, that was a very, very famous, is a very famous part of that. Yeah, there were a lot of hidden stars and, yeah. the, like you said, well, flying through the, the, the rings. This was one of the first that kind of did that, like, you've got a world, and then it's like there's five stars in the world, and some of the stars were hidden. Some of them, it would tell you yeah. what star, it's like, hey, this star is, it would just be like, Climb the mountain. Well, they would, and you, there was no context to that. Yeah, there would be. There were chronological in this game, though. You didn't have like six available to you, and you pick one. It was like you had to do one, and then a second would appear, and it would tell you the second. I thought there were, for the most part, yeah. And as you said, there were hidden stars because based on which one of those stars you picked, it would kind of change the layout of yes. the level. I ex- think ex- right, so, not significantly, but certain items, like certain platforms, yeah. would appear or disappear, or certain things would appear or disappear. So yeah, and so there were certain hidden stars you could only find in certain runs of like right. you have to be doing the race one or you have to be doing the flying one in order to get this hidden star or something like that. So, I remember the the first level had like you know King Bomb King Babam on yes, top of the hill as your main enemy. Yeah, but there was also Chomp was there. You had to run by Chomp, and they, if you there was a hidden star behind him in the like 
cage behind him, if I remember yeah, correctly. Yeah, because you had to you had to ground pound his his uh, steak. His steak. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Again, I just the music, the mechanics are such a classic because they're the Mario mechanics. But it was, it is the precursor it's... to the games of Mario Galaxy, of course, and Mario Odyssey. They all came. They all. I, this is the first version of those games. I'm pretty sure. Right. I was just gonna cut in for some some producer chatter here because this yes. was I, I was a huge N64 kid and so first of all i'm going to disagree on the on the stars they you can go in and it will pop up the guide for what the next one is that you're supposed to get but you can still get the other ones like you can shoot on a cannon to go get something on a platform even if you're supposed to get the thing behind the chomp or you can get the thing behind the chomp if you're supposed to go to the top of the mountain it's just giving you the guide of what to do based on what's next chronologically except in some cases where you might have like something triggered but the majority of the time they're all there and so that's how like speedrunners might go and get certain ones in certain orders right. they're not all getting like star one from things because some of them are way easier to get yeah through speedrunner ways uh, also yeah it, definitely you can clay mold the faces and things like that in the intro because that was that yeah it was a huge thing if you turn on the n64 the first time on launch day and mm-hmm. now you have this 3d mario that you're like moving the face, face around and yeah, you blowing around. people's minds and there were stories i remember reading about of grown-ass adult men almost being brought to tears when they launched into the first level of this game because <laughs> Mario that they had spent 20 years with or whatever it was 15 years yeah. with in 3D with the movable camera doing all these triple jumps and backflips and like it was such an iconic thing especially in Japan that there were people who literally were like overwhelmed by what they were seeing I I can believe it Oh fandoms Yeah Also that means producer Kyle agrees with me on the stars so. Yeah 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 I again that's the point <laughs> of the rose I might not be correct <laughs> outnumbered but incorrect but i think i think that's the thing with a game like this is this is a game that our producers both played as well this is the game i think one of the few games that i think all four of us have very strong memories of playing when we were growing up Uh, producer lisa's not shaking her head at me so maybe i'm wrong but it's just it's one of the classics it's a staple of the n64 of course because it was as of course i've been proven wrong once again it was the (laughs) game bundled with the n64 but it, it just it was so much fun to play. It wasn't one of those cheesy bundle games that you're like, eh, yeah, you get it, but whatever, no one wants to play it. Like, yeah. that was a game you actively wanted to play all the time. It was so much fun. And even though it was a one-player game, it didn't stop you from playing with your friends, which is no. kind of the fun you part. You could easily trade it off. It was so like... easy to trade off by level and say, you do this one, then I do this one, then you do this one. Like, it was so easy, and you felt like you could interact really easily that way, and that's that's great. And and as you said earlier, it really set the precedent for so many of the move sets for Mario in a three D space. Like the triple jump, the slide jump, the the backflip, like all of these things are, you know, kind of like a, a sine qua non in three D Mario games now, like playing Super Mario Odyssey. You just know, you know, this game came out 20 years afterwards. You know how to do a triple jump. You know how to move around the world because these movesets were established in this game. And the other thing that, first of all, I think it's it's beyond just Mario games. I think it set it for a lot of 3D platformers that came oh, on yeah. the systems afterward of, of having those sorts of things. But in the Super Mario Brothers episode, one of the things that you talked about was how in World 1-1 and 1-2, one, 
they were specifically designed to get you used to using a controller with those buttons and with those arrows. So you go right. through a, a single enemy and then jumping over things and then a tube and then a double hit enemy, all things like that. And this was the same way. It was, here's how this controller works. Here's how the system works. These weird yeah. yellow C buttons are over here. You have to hold it in this stupid way where you hold on to its <laughs> middle leg for some dumb reason. And, yeah. you know, this is what a Z button is behind it. And it did it in that same sort of very natural, organic way. And it would give you these little guides as you stepped through it of understanding, you know, right. here's how you'd use this. Here's how you can combine things. Here's what an analog joystick is, because p- most people hadn't used one at that point. Right. Yeah. Which is which is what a launch title is supposed to do, right? Like Exactly. If they do it well. Yeah, if they do it well. It's, it's a lost art. And I'm sure we'll talk about this in the main episode. But showcasing the technology and showcasing the controller yeah as you said it did a great job of that it, as if i remember correctly and it felt really natural as far as because those controllers are awful we've talked about it before the oh, n64 yeah. controllers are just the worst humans however don't have three hands <laughs> yes humans don't have three hands it, it just the music the the colors i just again 3D world, you could move in any yeah. direction. This is coming from Super Mario that was a 2D platformer scroller, mm-hmm. you know, and suddenly you could move in every direction. And it was just, and the worlds were just open and you had the, the Princess Peach Castle is the main yeah. hub world and you could find the secret. Like most of them were portraits. You had, some were hidden portraits, but they were all portraits yeah. except for every once in a while there was like, I think there was one that was like in a pond there was like one world you entered through like the pond instead of yeah, a portrait. Yeah, you go like a, a hole in the yeah, a hole in the, the there was I think a, that was a challenge. Yeah, there were yeah. there was a couple essentially like challenge. Yeah, there were a couple like hidden challenge worlds and stuff. I mean, it was just so mind-blowing for a game cuz I, I don't remember ever playing yeah. a game like that before Super Mario 64. Like it was the first uh, time you encountered a game like that. And the camera movement was not terrible, I don't think. At the time, I'm fully expecting the camera movement to now be a pain in the butt. Yeah, but I'm like, kind of worried how that's going to turn out. The, the, the flying mini game, you had to like look up into the ceiling. Like there was, because there was the flying cap, there was the metal cap. Yes, because that helped sink you in the sink. Water. Yeah, uh, I don't know if there was another one. I don't think like, in this game there's un- another one. I might it, be it was kind of like the Super Mario world where you had to unlock them and then they were available. Yeah, so you had to go back to other, other worlds because you it was the switches yeah. too. It was like you could turn on switches, I believe, and same with the caps. They were kind of like the switch. You turn on like the metal cap switch. Or oh whatever, yeah, 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 yeah. Or the yeah. flying cap switch, and so you'd have to go back to those earlier worlds and you could complete right. stars now that you couldn't complete before. Yeah. It's not the same kind of switches as in Super Mario World. A little bit different. Yeah. Sorry, I, I thought you were saying there were switches in Super Mario 64. And it was just like, I don't think that's a thing. Speaking of the metal cap making him sink, it reminds me that this also has a horrible, horrible Sonic-esque underwater running out of breathing oh, meter. Yeah. Where it's little... The pie slices! It's, it's, your, it's your health, right? When it runs out, it, there's like this horrifying drowning animation where literally mario grasps at his throat and kicks around and it's like flailing and i'm like this is a children's (laughs) game and you watched him horribly drown (laughs) do better (laughs) or as the gx might say get good get good yeah i mean that that's one of those like as a child child shared childhood trauma of watching mario drown (laughs) 
and suffer. Uh. Oh, Mario, no. I remember, like, this is another game where Peach leaves, like, notes for Mario where she's like, yeah. Mario, I'm in this place. So it opens up. The more stars you get, certain areas of the castle start opening up. You have to, like, level. That's how you get to different areas of the castle, if I remember correctly, yeah. by opening, getting more and more stars. It's just... I, it's such a good game. It's so I'm so yeah, excited to play this game. Just, it's so much fun. The worlds were varied. The worlds like were super different. different there, I know there are super annoying levels in this game that I'm going to be yeah. like, I hate everything about this level. There's ice levels that are awful. There's underwater levels that are awful. <laughs> I know they're coming. But overall, I just... It, it just there was just so many good, fun, different levels too, and it it brought in so many elements of the Super Mario World. But I think that it introduced, I'm pretty sure, so many elements that became oh, yeah. crucial to the way Mario is interpreted today. And that's yeah. how you know it's a classic game. I mean, Mario kind of does that, but there are certain things that fall off that aren't as important, that aren't as cool. When there are certain things that get established in these early games and they stick around, there's for a reason. Yeah. And this game has a lot of those elements that are like, these are creatures that appeared for the first time that are now in every other game sense. These are mm-hmm. power-ups that are in every other game sense. Like, it's just this yeah. game has so many elements of that. So, rose scores, because it sounds like we probably are going to be around the same. But, Chris, what is your rose-tinted glasses score from Super Mario 64? I'm going to go with an eight and a half. I think it would probably be higher if we had played it more. Mm. And and I have I, I say this, and I played it recently on the recently being the DS release, not the 64 release. I, I have very fond memories of this game, or at least watching friends play this yeah. game. What about you? What is your what is your rose tinted score? So I'm gonna give it a nine because I'm gonna add in those DS playing games because that's far enough back in my memory. I'm gonna I'm gonna say that like it is rose tinted mm. as well. Um, I, it has been probably more than a decade since I played it on the DS even, mm. and I loved this game. It was one I just it was one I could go back to. It was a comfort game on the DS for me if I could just go and just run mm. around a world for a bit and play it. But I remember it just yeah. having so much fun with friends and yelling and doing the whole like, oh god, you're gonna miss it. You're freaking out like the freak out. <laughs> <laughs> of friends and and it is again it's it is the the way i see mario almost now i think oh yeah is so much more from that game as as much as super mario definitely influenced it because it was the first time we played mario the way i perceive mario in a modern sense is from this game it's the yeah. the 3d elements of this game the stars getting the stars being a thing like that that is just from right. this game and and so because i i have to give it a nine have to get That's a nine fair. So what do you think your predicted score is going to be, Chris? How do you think it'll change now that we've, you know, played more modern Mario games like Mario Galaxy and Mario Odyssey and, you know, how they've evolved from there? I mean, we have to, in theory, compare it to those. I'm going to go with a seven. And I think that's actually, I was torn between a six and a half and a seven because I think based on the newer versions, they're going to have so much added stuff. Mm -hmm. and especially going back and trying to play it, I'm going to do my best to play it on original hardware. Those controllers, and some of this might be because the controllers are old too, which doesn't help. I, I don't think it's going to stand up very well mm. gameplay-wise. I think the levels will still be very well designed, but I think the gameplay is going to be a little rough because of its age. What about you? Yeah, I, I think you're right. I think I won't go quite as hard. I think I'll give it an eight instead. Um, an eight out of ten, I'll predict. I think 
I think you're right. I think the controller is going to be much more of a problem. I think I'm remembering it on the DS, which simplified some of those controls because it wasn't the awful controller. And so going back to original hardware, which is the plan, is going to be a bit tougher. And comparing it to the, the, the games with Mario Odyssey, with Mario Galaxy, that added so many new elements that, again, were great. It won't live up to those elements. I have a feeling nostalgia is going to fuel us through this and it's probably going to change when we actually play it. But (laughs) if we were doing it the way we always say we will, which is compare it to modern games, I think it'd be closer to an eight. But I'm really looking forward to this. I'm really excited for this game. We've been holding off on this game for a while. We really have, um, yeah. Because we wanted to spread games out as much as possible, but I'm so excited we finally are getting to play this game. (laughs) I can see where... Chris's predicted score might end up being accurate because this is not a game that's meant to be run through quickly in the context of a podcast like this. It was almost an open world game in the way that as you got scores, different doors unlocked, but every level had five, six stars to get. So there were times where you could end up with, you know, hanging out and you're like, oh, let me go put an hour into Mario and I have 15 different worlds I can go play around with and try and get one of the stars and let me just pick something or have a friend come over or whatever. So you could have a save file last for months and months as you just kind of picked and chose like it's not linear in that way and so i think it's going to be tough for it to live up to you know let's plow through this over the course of a month or so when we have have time yeah that that's that's a fair point uh, it, that's it a little bit interesting to watching how the sausage is made that affects our scores sometimes yeah, but it definitely does unfortunately it does but I think we're all still excited to play it. We're definitely going to be streaming a bunch of this game. And maybe I can convince producer Kyle to stream a little bit because he has clearly a good experience with it as well. But we'll see. But otherwise, I think... Just make him play and put the camera on him. He'll never know. I'll just be quietly narrating in the background. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, just whispering. It'll be like golf. Very agitated right now. The wild producer. The, The wild producer has hit a wall. Let's see how angry he is. The wild producer is missing on the really obvious corner right to the left. (laughs) (laughs) I love how you're predicting. We're all predicting he's going to suck at it. He's going to be really good and it's going to make me angry. Anyway. He will often jump up and triumph when he gets a star and shove it in the face of other occupants. (laughs) He will often jump up when he's excited and scare the feline members of the household. <laughs> anyway, we're looking forward to playing it. Score recap. I gave it a rose tinted score of nine. Chris gave it a rose tinted score of eight and a half. Predicted scores, I gave it a predicted score of an eight, and Chris gave it a predicted score of a seven. I will have to verify and check, but I feel like this is the first time I outscore Chris on both the rose and the <laughs> predicted, but we will see. Because I always say that and then I'm wrong. <laughs> oh, it is. Producer Kyle just checked. It is the first time this has happened. It's a first. Katie was right. Katie was right. I was right. So let's play that Chi Ocarina of Time, head back to the present, and actually, after we've played the game, let's do it. Let's go, if you will. Boo! It's me, Sonic. (laughs) No. (laughs) And that music means we are back to the present. We've played the game. Some of us has played more than others. Congratulations, Katie. Ha ha! 
<laughs> I told you all I'd be back. Uh, Katie, what can you tell us about the plot of Mario 64? So, like, more than one Mario game, it starts with Princess sending a note to Mario saying, Hey, I'm going to bake a cake. Why don't you come on over? Interestingly, this is the first game that Princess Toadstool is not, in fact, called Princess Toadstool. She is called Princess Toadstool as a title, and then in parentheses, it's like Peach. Peach. And so she is officially designated as Peach in this game. So she asks us to come by her castle. Of course, Mario does. And she's been kidnapped by Bowser. Dun, 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 because she has always been kidnapped. But to be fair, there's only one castle this time we have to explore. We don't have to explore multiple <laughs> castles. She is, in fact, in this castle. Uh, but Bowser has also taken the 120 stars that power the castle. And so Mario's job is to jump into random portraits around the castle to get those 120 stars back to power the castle again and save the princess. Lots of castle in there. Castle, 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 castle. And it's not a super big castle if you think about it. No, it's really not. It's three three stories plus a backyard. Four. Four in the basement. So, mechanics of the game. Mario can walk, jump, run, crawl, crouch, climb, swim, kick, grab objects, and punch. So he can do a lot more than he used to. Yes. Also, dive, triple jump, wall jump. Yes, this was the, the introduction of, of the very, very famous mechanics. I think we talked about this in the rose section. The triple jump, the uh, slide jump. The long jump, yeah. All these, yeah, these very, very classic Mario mechanics that, uh, I mean, just come back to you as soon as you go into a Mario game. You're like, all right, slide, jump, or triple jump. Yeah, so mechanics pretty straightforward. The castle is, we were kind of stating, is the hub world. So you go there every time. There are 15 courses around the castle accessible through either paintings and or holes in the ground. Mm Mm-hmm because there are holes in the ground. Each of the (laughs) main courses have seven stars available to them. And then the rest of the stars to get to that 120 are hidden castle stars, which is another 15. So you find them in like, like the bunny, like we talked about, had two of the stars. And then two stars you get from toads that they just hand them to you. And, you know, various places like that. Another, as we kind of talked about a little bit when we were talking about the uh, Switch boxes for the DS version, there are three different switches in this game that you need to activate that make three different caps available to you. Either the wing Mm -hmm. cap from the red box that makes you fly for a designated period of time as long as you jump into the air or shot into the air. So it's more gliding. There's the metal cap, which is out of a green box that makes him mm-hmm. invincible, which is really freaking handy. And? And you can't swim because you sink to the bottom. You can walk through water, which is kind of nice. Yes. Which is the more important part, to be fair. But invincible. Yes. The last cap is the vanish cap, which comes out of blue boxes, which means that enemies don't always see you and some of their attacks go through you. But more importantly, you can go through certain objects like walls or something. You can pass through them. Very particular yeah, like, ones. Like gates yeah, yeah, or like fence, fence type things. So in like a lot of Mario games, you have to activate these switches in their certain switch world. And then those boxes are available to you throughout the rest of the courses. And the other thing is you can only get one star per run except right. with the exception of the hundred coin star because a hundred coin star you would actually get wherever you get your hundredth coin and you would save and then you could continue on the rest of the levels so you could actually get two stars in one go when it comes to the hundred coin star right and this had an influence on tons of games going forward i mean obviously 
in all of the Mario games mm-hmm. going forward. But we talked about in like Jack and Daxter, it was kind of set up this way where it had the hub worlds, the designated power cells in Jack and Daxter. Yeah, well, well was the, yeah, the the power cell was named, and that was the hint on how to get mm-hmm. it. I, I think this this format, yeah, with the with the hub world and and levels to go out in. Really, I mean, it's not it's not a stretch to say hub world, mini worlds, but this was, I think, the first that I can think of that was really built like that, that had a hub world, right? Because the other Mario, I have to agree very... that yeah, I don't, I can't remember any other game that had such a distinct hub world until playing this game. I now I'm gonna now I'm thinking about it. I know there probably was, but I I can't think of one that we necessarily played. That was set up like that. Yeah, because it's different than obviously going to a map and being able to choose different levels. Like this yeah. was just like a, a, a playable world. Cause there were things to do in the castle itself. There were certain stars right. you had to get to in the castle itself. It was a world in its own. But let's kind of let's get into us actually playing the game. As Chris alluded to, I beat the game. Woohoo! Yay! I beat I did the bare minimum of seventy stars. <laughs> I did not beat the game. I think I got to about 40-some stars. Okay, so how many Bowsers did you face? I faced two Bowsers. Okay. Can we talk about how goofy Bowser looked in this oh, game? Oh, he's very goofy. Like, it was kind of like a derpy, weird, you know, first attempt at a at a, a voxel Bowser. The, yeah, like, which is exactly what it was, to be fair. Yeah. I I'd forgotten that until the first time I played it, and I was like, "Oh, that's what that's what Bowser looks like in this game." Yeah, he he was like weird colors too. He's like a little bit off colored. Yeah, um, it, it was bizarre. It was just like it, it wasn't like an off model version of Bowser. He did I don't have know. a great laugh though. Oh yeah, as always. As always, yeah. So I beat the game with seventy stars. I also made it a point that I got at least one star from every course. So I got a star from every course, which I was very proud of myself for. I got all three switch caps, which I was very proud of. Mm-hmm. I I worked hard at this, and and I <laughs> I did have producer Kyle help me like once or twice on certain jumps of like I know exactly how to do this. I am not accomplishing this very complicated jump sequence. I really just need you to do this for me. I think that happened yeah. twice. Talking about the complicated jump sequence. I don't remember this game having been so finicky on controls as it was when I was playing this time. That's, I had such a hard time. And I, again, I sort of racked that up to playing on original hardware with original 64 controllers. And I I think I showed this on stream a couple times, just the dead zone of, of the control stick was huge see i didn't have a dead so, zone i still struggled so yeah uh, i tried some of the other controllers that i have and one of them was like oh this doesn't feel like it has a dead zone but it would just run off so it was just biased it was tough i wrote down in my notes it's like i've never had such a hard time running in a straight line i like, i said that running in a times. straight line was a but challenge in this game i think that was the game because like i just there were camera angles Uh, if we hadn't already done the camera is your enemy as a trope (laughs) that would have absolutely been the trope for this episode because i struggled with the camera so much i just have and then so because running in a straight line then made it complicated because it was like well how do i run in that direction depending on the camera i think i was driving producer kyle crazy because he didn't like the camera angles i would use 
<laughs> and he kept being like, why are you doing it that way? He's like, I guess it works for you, which is such a like. The the precision platforming and yeah. the, it, it came really quickly in like, like the second level that I went into, the sunken ship. And the one where you have to platform up after you drop the water. Oh my god! Like that I remember was getting awful. there and being like, "Oh yeah, this level." It's only the second level, and I remember how much I hated this section. I was just that one was awful. I kept slipping <laughs> off of it. That was yeah. awful. Again, and just I not being able to turn around on a dime. You had to run in a mini little circle yeah. to try to turn around. Yeah, it, it just, was. Oh. It was rough, like like trying to run across a narrow, like board. Yeah, it, it was just not a good camera angle. Like you had to try to get the camera angle lined yep. up correctly. The camera was just such a pain in the butt. Ugh. Even though they gave you options, you could do Mario view, you could do the Koopa or not Koopa view. What was his name? Laiku. Laiku, like like Hitu view, because he was following you around with the camera. Like you could have done his view, but it just was yeah. still a pain in the butt i will say i didn't know you could get a star from 100 coins until producer kyle told me eventually a toad does tell you didn't remember or know that i feel (laughs) like i never had gotten that up to that point i don't i don't think i do until you you brought it up at some point more stressful was so again as i as i mentioned that you get the 100 coin star wherever you get your 100th coin on the second level the the ice level or is that the third level uh the ice level Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's in the first level, area. That yeah. first area. There's a slide that you get a majority of your coins from. Yeah. Or you can. I made the mistake of not going to the slide until after I'd gotten a, a chunk of coins. So I got my hundredth coin on the slide, which oh. then I slid past <laughs> it, couldn't go back up the slide to get it. And in fact, I got it so near the bottom of the slide that I could see it from the bottom entry. <laughs> Oh, and gosh. I tried to like jump to it and get to it. Nope, you can't get to it. And so it taunted me. So I had to redo the whole thing just to get the hundred coins again. That that made me sad. That that slide was my Waterloo. <laughs> I, I I the number of times that I would cut corners, mm-hmm. miss the apex, if you will. Yeah, yeah, it was rough. Other things that I know, like yeah, just the controls were very very finicky at times, and it just. I struggled to get those precise landings and the, the the physics of the game of how you wouldn't stop sliding and you you your momentum physics were awful in this game because you just kept going. Unless you were on a moving platform and then you would jump and it's yeah. it's that type of yes where you jump and uh, what's relative motion nothing yeah it was a struggle but I I really like the fact that you only need 70 stars to beat the game and there's 120. Yeah. So it gives you the flexibility of if you just don't want to get a star, you don't have to get it. If you don't like a certain level, you don't have to get any stars there. You really don't. Which was great because I hated the second spat of levels. Yeah. Like you get whatever 10 stars that you could fight Bowser the first time or 15 or whatever it's it is. 20 the first, I think it, the barriers is it are, 20? It's, it's 20 stars for the first Bowser then I believe it's fifty no, for th- no 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 that's too high. No, it's it's definitely twenty for the second or thirty, 30 for it's the 30 second. Thirty for the second, so it must be ten for the first. Yeah, but T- ten for the, the first, basement. thirty for the second, fifty for the third door. But then you find out that opens up more levels, and then you find out you need the seventy uh, to make the endless staircase stop being endless. Oh, only eight. 
eight thirty fifty seventy. That's obnoxious that it's eight. <laughs> so, but I, I like the flexibility of like if you really like the yeah. first level, you can get seven stars in one level. You know, yeah. I will say the frustration of you couldn't get all seven stars in that very first level right away because one of them you needed the wing cap, and so you had to go get the switch first. Uh, well, and that was the same thing for the undersea one. You needed the metal cap yes. to get the six star. So that was another, and the metal cap was not easy to find. Straightforward, no, yeah, it was inside another level. Which, yeah, that was surprising considering the vanish cap and the wing cap. Uh, the wing cap were both outside, just in the castle. So I was expecting the metal cap to be out there too. It wasn't. It was in another level. No, I would not have found that unless you you brought that up on stream. Yeah, that was. Oh, that was something. But they were like hidden <laughs> courses. Like if you didn't pay attention to the boos in the courtyard, you never would have gotten the course that's inside a boo. Inside yes. of it. <laughs> yes. I, ugh. I I didn't mind that level. No, that was fine. I, again, I really, I really disliked a couple of the, I hated the sand level. I hated the lava level. Yeah, I only did one for the sand level. The lava level, I think it got four <sighs> stars. The only one that I did at any real amount one was the, like, uh, cavern in the second level. The one, like, the, the zero star. Yeah, uh, the second round of levels was a bit more of a struggle, so I ended up going back to a lot of the early ones and just filling yeah. out those stars. That's I did, I did that and the, and the ghost. And the, the ghost. ghost. Yeah, well, that that yeah. is course five, I think, is the ghost. Yeah, Big Boo's Haunt is course five. So it is officially a, like, a before those later courses. Yeah, but I don't think the ghosts show up until you. Uh, they show up. Bowser? No, they show up like super early. I think. Okay. Either uh, way. You, uh, but yeah, so the, having though the flexibility to just choose levels because let's be honest, oh, yeah. there were a lot of snow levels and a lot of water levels, which we <laughs> talked about when we talked about that level. There were a lot in this game. Yeah. Like a lot. <laughs> there was the one the prequel. To the second Bowser level was a, a big underwater level. Yes. That was rough. And then, yeah, so that was, I think, the second or third underwater level. Yeah. And again, I've talked about this. The swimming and flying in this game were not the most... Oh, God, I was so bad at They flying. were not great. As much as I complain about the game in the sense of the struggles I had with it, I still had a ton of fun playing the game. It was still a lot of fun. The music was still really fun and catchy. Oh, yeah. And again, there were certain levels I really loved that I remembered every little piece of that level and going back and playing it again was great. Sometimes that was detrimental because I was like, in the very first level, I was like, why aren't the cannons open? I forgot you can't open them until later. Like, you you got to talk to, yeah, to. you got to talk to the guys. And, and I was like, great. Yeah, yeah. But like in general, like it was, it was kind of nice that like I remembered those levels. I definitely remembered those early levels because I replayed those all the time versus the later levels yeah. that I didn't get to a lot of the times. It is funny because we got, I got into the third floor and it's like, I don't remember this level at all yeah like i thought the one with the, i kind of remember them but yeah i like... thought i was gonna not remember any of them then i started playing a little i was like oh yeah i do remember these but mm. i didn't play them until like the clock level i i feel like i only played like once and then there was the like ride, yeah. like ride the flying carpet level that was weird mm -hmm. but it was fun like again the, the the diversity of levels is really impressive and like there oh, as much yeah. as there were two or three underwater levels and there was a bunch of snow levels there was just a lot to do in each of the levels the level design was really impressive. They weren't necessarily the biggest levels, but... But they weren't small most of the time. No, and the variety of the geometry of the levels. Mm -hmm. 
and so many of the levels like the there was so much up and down it was very very impressive mm-hmm. on the depth of complexity in these levels yeah there are some random things like they, there are certain things again like where i'm like if someone didn't tell me this if i didn't have a guidebook i don't think i would have ever known that on level two or three i can't remember which one it was that you have to like ride an owl to the top to drop into a star yeah like how was i to know that i should climb up the very first tree i find and an owl will pop out like what or like punch in the same level or no it was a different level or it's like you need to punch the snow man body and race it down the hill yeah yeah, no, and that that's the kind of funny thing of, like, those little things that you, like, how would you have known how that works without a guide and or, like, the internet back in the day? But, you know, people figured it out, I guess. Or they glitched the game. But, you know, it was still a lot of fun. A really interesting part in the third section where you go in and it's a mirror. Oh, it's yes. a mirror room. And I, I remember reading about this going in, how it's not actually a mirror. It's just a duplicate mario and whatever it is like laiku who's who mimics whatever movement you do it's not actually a mirror which doesn't seem like a big distinction but programming wise it's a huge distinction yeah programming wise if you think about we need to create a reflection of this room you need to project where all of the light is going and reflect it and create right the inverse of everything what they did was they just made a double wide room with all of the paintings on both sides, except for in mm-hmm. one spot. Except for one, yeah. And then just had two Marios where one did the opposite movements of you. So instead of having to do tons of calculations and ray tracing and all these sorts of things, they just have an inverse Mario behind an invisible wall. Right, because that's... And again, it doesn't sound like a big deal, but when you're programming, you have to draw the light, you have to set the light source, you have to say where the camera is and it's way easier to just clone it rather than say oh i've got a reflection and this is where the light's coming from as 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 producer kyle said again doesn't sound like a lot of work but it's it's a big deal and it's a really cool trick yeah saying all that makes me think is that how they got the idea to get the the shadow mario that you have to race that mimics your every move yeah <laughs> Maybe. In, in, like, later games. You know how there's, like, yeah. certain later games that Mario will, like, you have to race the Shadow Mario? Like, that just sounds like that. That's funny. So that's the funny thing. When I was saying how, like, how did kids figure this out without a guidebook or the internet? Mm-hmm. I will say there are certain ones like that, like I, the owl up the tree. I'm pretty sure there's no way that told you to climb a tree and an owl will appear. However, other times, you would just read a sign and it'd be like, did you know you should do this? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Or the toad, like I said, would tell you, did you know that if you got 100 coins, you'd get a star? The Bowser literally tells you, this is, you would never get behind me and swing me into one of these bombs. (laughs) (laughs) They they did a very good job of literally signposting things with, you know, signposts. Literal signposts. So yeah, as much as I complain about not knowing how to do certain things, maybe I just didn't find the right sign. I don't know. Also, the trees. We should talk about the trees. Oh, yeah. The, the trees are... Go ahead, Chris. The trees Tell me were, about the were trees. S- static images where they weren't 3D sprites or anything like that. So if you circled around the trees, it would just stay as that flat image of the tree. And yet I never and noticed was... until someone pointed it out. <laughs> and then you couldn't not notice. Our previous guest, Gaming at the Edge. 
Previous yes. guest from the Chuck Yeager episode, Gaming at the Edge, is the one who told us that. Yes. Producer Kyle looks like he wants to add something. Yeah, since you know we talked about a lot of these things in the Rose segment, I think that what was really interesting was I had the same... I think we all had the same experience of the first few courses were great to go through like when i went through i got seven stars on all five of the first ones and then three yeah. three one one two and then we get to the next set and it was all seven on the wet dry world and all seven on the tall tall mountain it was like you either mm. loved it a course or absolutely hated it oh yeah yeah i completely agree like the sand world i don't think i got any of the stars there because i just hated that yeah and i accidentally learned that lives don't carry over through power cycling the system because i had built up like 55 lives at one point and then turned the system <laughs> off, brought it back, and I was back to four lives. So that was super fun. You know, I, I don't think I noticed that until you brought it up either because I was like, yeah, I'll build up some lives. And then it's like, oh, I guess you just start with four. Yeah. Showing, again, how death is meaningless. <laughs> yes. Once I realized that, I was like, well, I don't even care anymore. Like, Because, yeah, you lose all four of your lives. As, as we said, you just get kicked outside of the castle and you start with four lives again. So it doesn't matter. I, I was very okay with that. As much as the game does a ton of good signposting, it also does some where it's absolutely terrible. Like, if there is a star that requires a cap, it should tell you, this requires the wing cap, or this requires metal cap, but it doesn't. And so you can be wandering around the world for an hour trying to figure out what <laughs> this last thing is and not know that there's literally no way for you to get it right now, which is kind of stupid. Yeah. I I feel like sometimes they're okay with that. I'm thinking, like, I know the ghost level where you needed to use the vanish cap to go through the portrait. That's not apparent at all. Yeah, through an like, insane, I, hidden, difficult wall jump. Yeah. The other frustrating point on there is some of the... Because it gives the star name every time, like, behind yeah. Big Chomp's gate or things like that. But some of them were completely unhelpful. There was one in the Hazy Maze Cave that was literally called Metal Mario Can Move. It's like, yeah, yeah, he can. I know. Oh, that, that one, that, that does, one annoyed that me. That me. <laughs> You're just stating an unrelated fact. Yes. Yes, that means apparently you have to go to the underground lake and get the Metal Mario cap and hit a switch that's sort of underwater. Obviously. Obviously. In general, I don't think there's any way that a child would get through this game without a guide of some oh, sort. Oh, zero chance. for all three of us, it was quite a task to get up to 70 or, or close to 70. Yeah. And that was as experienced gamers in our age insert here uh, <laughs> doing this. Also, programming-wise, every now and then, the system would definitely start to overload when too much stuff was happening and start to lag really bad. And usually it was around Monty Mole, who yeah. producer Katie... Monty er, Mole is or, a dick. Host Katie knows Monty Mole <laughs> is a dick because he doesn't give a coin when you kill him. And then he comes back immediately. He doesn't stay dead. Which is funny because who does Katie like playing in Mario Party? Monty Mole. Betrayed. Betrayed. <laughs> Apparently the, the reason for it is that they did a poor job on the programming of it where the rocks that they throw at you don't despawn quickly enough. And so if you stand around oh, Monty Moles for a while, interesting. they keep throwing rocks. More and more and more of them exist in the environment, even if you can't see them. And it it's just kind of like a system. massive memory leak. Yeah. yeah, you can just imagine there's this giant pile of rocks underneath the ground there. <laughs> and then the last thing I thought was really interesting, because every level had eight red coins to get as, it, as its yeah. own star. It's sort of the, the one commonality was the 100 
gold coins and the eight red coins. The yeah. red coins showed up before the rest of the environment, so you could see them yes, I did like, notice inside that. a block before the block was there. You could see them in a building before the building was there, and their shadows went forever down as well. So you could see a shadow on the ground, even if it was like 100 feet above you yes. and nothing else. So it was, they, they were very clearly somewhere in the code. They are special, special objects that have to be yeah. handled differently. They're not the rest of the world, which I thought was really cool. I think, I think Hazy Maze, Hazy Maze, it was very apparent that they spawned in before the blocks and and I think even in the first level yeah it's that part was really interesting I will say this game does not really hold up well to a big screen modern TV Yeah it definitely showed some flaws in how it looked Yeah which another advantage to the Switch version of the game was obviously they cleaned that up and it looked real smooth I, I did see in the in the notes about the development that they spent a lot of time on the camera controls. That makes sense. Which is funny because going back on it, it's not the worst, but it's definitely frustrating. Especially when you try to keep turning the camera and you can't, and it mm-hmm. gives you that awesome... Yeah, I would get very, very frustrated with the camera. I'd lose myself. I couldn't find the exact right angle, but I think it's time to summarize it all up and give final scores. So, Chris, what is your final score for Super Mario 64? This is hard because the controller was really a detriment, I think. (laughs) And it's not even the controller at the time. Because I mean, I mean, this, the the sixty four controller is just weird to begin. Oh god, with. it was it's awful. But it's so fat and weird. When you're using a controller that's twenty years old, especially the ones that I had, it was really really hard to play. I I'm gonna say an eight, only knowing that I've played it on the DS and the the controls are easier. But that's so a different I, game. I'm, it's not. Well, it is, but. I know that a lot of that, I really think the level design was very good, very clever, very varied. Yeah. I think the controls were awkward at times, especially with this older controller. The camera was a little rough, but I think at its core, it's a it's a pretty good game. And I know it was revolutionary at the time, but that's not what we're talking about. What about you? What would you give it? By the way, you had given it an eight and a half rows score and a seven predicted, so you actually went up from your predicted score. I was really torn. I wanted to give it a lower score, but it's really hard for me to give it a lower score when I know part of it is I was playing with a terrible controller. That's fair. And a terrible controller due to age, not necessarily due to design. Fair enough. So I think for me, I'm not going to be you. I'm giving it a seven and a half, which isn't all that much lower than yours, but... I just, I couldn't give it the solid eight because of the really significant frustrations I had with the camera, with the controls of the, like, inertia controls of just flying off the edge multiple times (laughs) was very, very frustrating. There was just a lot of parts that I would get very, very frustrated about and that didn't feel fair of, like, I was trying to catch this stupid monkey at the top of the mountain of, I think, Tall Tall (laughs) Mountain. Yeah, And I I swore I caught him like three times and it would jump through my hands. And I was like, I am so mad at you. Just catch the stupid monkey. And that is... Or spinning Bowser around. Or spinning... Oh my God, I was so bad at throwing Bowser. (laughs) Oh God, it wasn't better in the final Bowser either. I'm going to tell you. And that's the thing of like those kind of things. Like that was really frustrating to me. And I just, I can't give it a full eight. 
and so I give it a mm-hmm. seven and a half out of ten versus the nine rose score I had and the eight predicted score. Mm-hmm. So I dropped it. I just it couldn't live up. And maybe it's because I played the DS version, which was a bit cleaner, which was a little bit easier to play. That going back to the original was more of a struggle. But that's the point. It's supposed to be comparing it to the modern games. And I think also when you compare this to its, you know, spiritual successors of Mario Galaxy and Mario Odyssey, you know, the game has come so far from there and so much smoother from there. Expectedly so. But it still stands out in my mind because those games are amazing and I loved playing those games. So I think that's where I end up with the score. Would I tell people to go back and play it again? 150%. No question. Oh, yeah. Go go play the DS game. Get go the play DS, the Switch Get the game. Switch version. It's so much fun. It's a classic. It's it's a good time. You'll have a good time playing it. Absolutely go play this game. Yeah, I totally agree. Do you want to give a score, Producer Kyle? Even if you don't have a rose and a predicted? I know he does. Sure, and I'll be complicated with it. I would say when I started playing, so much came back, and there was so much that I loved doing that I was sitting there at like a nine. I got to that second set of worlds. It dropped to about a seven because they're awful and I hated every single <laughs> one of them. And then by, yeah. by the end of it, getting through all 70, getting through that third Bowser, I think for me it was an eight and a half. I'm sitting there looking at it going like, I could probably go back and get those last stars. And mm-hmm. I sat through watching literally like hours of speed runs. I, I watched all of the 70 and 120 star speed runs because it was fascinating. They weren't like crazy, super glitchy like some of them. They were just really good at the game. And I was right. happy to just sit and watch them be better than me. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I go eight and a half. There you go. I like it. I like it. So I think that's a great wrap up on our episode today. So Chris, tell me, what's our next episode going to be? Our next episode is going to be Super Metroid for the Super Nintendo. Staying in the Nintendo world. Yeah, hanging out with Samus. Samus, she's a boss. Samus is a girl. That's shocking. <laughs> so, been been putting this off. Been been looking forward to playing this game. Yeah, it should be a lot of fun. Look forward to playing it. And where can you see us play this game? Why, in fact, that's on Twitch. You can watch us play Super Metroid on Twitch. And we will probably need the help since it is a Metroidvania, which means going everywhere, back and forth. So we will certainly get lost Please and annoyed. Help. You can find us at GWGW Show on Twitch. You can also find us on pretty much all social media at GW Show. So we're on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. GWGW Show. That's what I said. You said GW Show. Nah. I got our own show name wrong. Ah! So find us Games at- We Show. Games We Show. Games we grew up with, GWGW Show on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Reach out to us. We like hearing from you all. We love talking to you all. So reach out, hang out with us. It's a good time over on Twitch. Outside of, again, exciting news for our two-year anniversary, we're doing the live show. We always want to say a big old thank you to all of our listeners and everyone who watches us over on Twitch. It it makes it so much more fun for us when you guys participate with us and join us. We really appreciate you guys for coming along the journey with us. And all the feedback that we get from you guys, suggestions. We've gotten trope of the day suggestions from some folks. It's it's always awesome 
to to hear from you guys and and let us know how we could be doing better. And if you want us to cover one of your favorite games, tell us because you might be able to guilt us into doing it. Like one of our <laughs> recent listeners is not guilting us into do it, pushing it to maybe be sooner on the schedule than originally planned. <laughs> So come join us and maybe your favorite game will be an episode sooner rather than later. Big thanks to the producers, making sure we don't say stupid things. Yep. And giving us fun facts along the way. Also, check out our social media the week this episode is coming out in particular because we're all going to be together. Yay, we're hanging out. We're it's hanging out in person. vacation. So we might do some streams together. We might do some other things together. You'll definitely see some photos and stuff. So it'll be a lot of fun. So check out the social media. Again, come talk to us. We're lonely. <laughs> On that note, <laughs> I think it's time to say goodbye. Please don't leave. <laughs> so say goodbye, Chris. Bye, Chris. Bye, everyone. Please come back. <laughs> Thank you so much for playing my game. I just broke my wedding ring. Y'all are a mess. Well, I got three more, so it's fine.